Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, welcome back to Brangaroo Studios. You have joined us just in time for the call. We're going through 10 of your stocks with two experts and we're gonna do it in one hour and we are going to do it in one hour this time. My pledge to you is that we are going to make sure there is plenty of time for every single stock on the list. So let's get straight to it. I'm joined by two of the best today. I'm joined in studio by Mark Morland from Team Invest. Mark, good to see you. Excellent, good to see you too, Andrew. Keep me on time today. I'll try, but don't forget, you can do the hard cut on Scott now because he's not here. That is that is true. <laughs> Speaking of which, Scott Phillips, you don't make my job very easy, mate. Uh, <laughs> You and me, I think, both suffer from the same problem. We're going to stick to time. We'll do our mate. Here's the thing: I reserve the right of reply. If Mark gets time, I want time. I want ABC. I want editorial independence. <laughs> I want to make sure if I get cut off, he gets cut off. Right? That's the way this works. Now we'll do our level best, mate. The good thing is we're stuck to an hour either way. Right? They're going to cut us off if we don't finish. So it's our job to get through the stocks. We're just going to get through those stocks with an equal amount of time. That is the challenge. So let's get straight into it. Uh, the stock of the day before we get to the viewer. Uh, uh, stocks. Uh, this one today is with Ramsey Healthcare. It has signed a new agreement uh, with the NHS over in England, replacing an, an existing deal which expires at the end of the year. This is the UK is rocked by more a more transmissible strain of coronavirus. Mark, Ramsey is one of these uh, businesses that a lot of people have had a lot of positive things to say, but really shares haven't done much in the last five years, just, just gone sideways. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a company that uh, Team Invest has generally liked apart from their debt. Right. They've got quite a high uh, debt load. It's running at about 200, over 200% debt to equity. So it's way over our debt limits. But having yeah. said that, it has been a wealth winner from our point of view, uh, particularly if you've been in it for 10 years. Right. You know, the returns have been quite spectacular. Yep. But the last few years, it's been pretty flat. And I think coronavirus hasn't been good for it. Uh, and, the, and the reason is, even though they are contracting their hospitals uh, to the NHS and the um, uh, government bodies or health bodies, uh, they get a lot less money for that. It's really a cost recovery versus running um, uh, specialised uh, elective surgeries yep. with uh, with the private surgeons and they're making much more money out of that. Much so, better margin. So they're really under the pump and their their earnings are down 46%, I think it was, uh, for the last 12 months and they yep. only reported, oh, so the AGM was in November. and. It's hard to get excited about it because yeah. the earnings growth is actually uh, flat. You know, sales are up about eight percent over the last six years growth, so mm -hmm. it's okay. Eight percent per year. Per year, or, okay, yeah, yep, per year yeah. uh, income. That's that's overall revenue coming in. Right. But their earnings are at the moment running about minus one point one per year. So they've actually got negative growth, and we know. Uh, and, and what, this deal they've signed with the NHS, I had a look at it. It sounds. It seems just like an, it's straight, virtually an extension of the deal they had before Christmas. Yeah, it's it just not, basically not says they're allowed to do elective surgery as long as the NHS doesn't need all the rooms. Right. You know, so to me it seems the same. Yep. Um, so I don't yep. think there's any big deal in that. No. Uh, the problem is it's too expensive. Now it's currently on a PE of 42. For uh, a company whose earnings aren't doing much. Which is also in the yeah. top quartile of its PE range. Yeah. Now to be fair, 
Um, it, it's 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 a very very solid safe company. I, I put it nearly in the category with CSL. Yep. Uh, but if you're going to buy one at the moment, I'll definitely buy CSL. Okay. I have a Ramsey, even though that's class as being expensive. Uh, but I don't think it's anywhere near as expensive as Ramsey is. So for us, it would need the share price would need to halve to to be worth. Oh, that worth much it. overvalued. Yeah, yeah yep. it needs to be in the yep. mid thirties, I reckon, to then say, yep, okay. Based on that going forward, once we come out of Corona, their earnings will pick up. Uh, they've also uh, they were struggling prior to Corona with the fact that um, they're hitting um, uh, restrictions on their ability to grow in nearly all their markets. Yeah. So the governments are saying you're too big. Okay. We won't let you buy any more hospitals. So and that uh, was really underpinning their growth, wasn't it? It was. It was they kept on adding, and then they're, they're very good hence managers. The debt. Yeah. Yeah, and they're using a debt. Now they do own the real estate, yeah. and that's always been a mitigating factor. Yeah. You could say it's good debt in that it's uh, underwritten by all the properties. Yes. But the properties are part of the business. You can't so, have uh, all you could do. I mean, what they could yeah. do is they could sell them off into a trust and then rent them, but then their earnings would go down more. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so there's definitely some things to like there from Mark, but just a bit. When I say a bit too expensive, twice as expensive as they need to be, as yeah. far as Mark is concerned. Scott, do you agree? Andrew, I, look, I Rams is one of those stocks that we should have a higher conviction. It's a buyer for us at the moment. It has been for quite a while, and frankly, has been disappointing as Mark's already mentioned. It's the sort of stock that should do spectacularly well when you think about the quality of its assets, the the fact that we all frankly need the business. Um, it, it should be one of those companies that keeps doing well. It's also, by the way, was supposed to grow meaningfully from acquisitions overseas, in particular France, Indonesia, the UK were supposed to be big growth businesses. So, it's kind of it's lurching into gunner territory, I have to say. One of those companies that you know should have all these things going for it, but can't find a way to get that profitable growth even before COVID, as Mark said. We can take this year, last year out, you know, take it away, it doesn't matter, um, in terms of looking at the overall earnings power of the business, the underlying earnings power of the business. Mm. But the broad concern I have is just, where is the growth that it should be able to deliver? Is there something fundamentally wrong with the business's underpinnings? Um, the scale should do enough. It, it should be able to grow from from some sort of scale, size, opportunity, uh, you know, there's, there's enough um, raw desired need, opportunity in the market, you're just not finding it at the moment. So I, look, it's a buy for us. It's probably, a, it's one that's on our on our watch list for a downgrade, quite honestly, just simply because it's not doing what we thought it should be able to do. Uh, we'll give it a bit more time probably because it has got a really good long-term track record. The more recent past has been ordinary. Yep. The challenge, I suppose, is most of that growth is going to have to come from acquisition and that's all risky as we know. Is there something to be said with with the PE, which ostensibly is very high, as Mark pointed out? Is that potentially a because it's off what you might generously call trough earnings? If you sort of normalise those earnings, is that does that help make the the, the uh, support the value case? It does a little bit, uh, you know, not enough. It, it needs to grow to really justify that value. I don't think you can do it based on current level of earnings. You have to believe there's growth, and that was the basis for our recommendation a couple of years ago. Um, we believe that the growth in Indonesia, Europe, and the UK would continue to be sufficient. Again, because they've done such a great job. They've done a really, really good job of acquiring well in the past, of pushing costs down and delivering profitable growth. Um, and it was one of those questions of, okay, is, is you know, what is the new normal? Do we go back to a new normal of back to the future, we're gonna grow again? Or is the new normal they've already hit some sort of saturation point, growth is just too hard from here? That's why it's probably in the, not the doghouse, but certainly on the, on the downgrade watch list um, right now, it's a bit disappointing. I, look, I don't think there's any point in making a rash call now. If you held it 12 months ago, leading into COVID, trying to have a different view on the company on the basis of what the COVID earnings have been is almost impossible. So it's one, I'm not saying you should hold it for the sake of it, but if you if you believed in it 12 months ago, you've kind of got to write this year off and wait and see what next year holds. And that's what we'll be doing. Um, but certainly if it can't find a way to grow, it is way too expensive, as Mark says. 
Okay, then we will leave it there. I'm always so tempted with, with the follow-up questions because there's a bunch of interesting things with Ramsey, but we're not going to do that. We're going to move straight on. In fact, Mark, I'm going to ask you about Australian Finance Group, AFG. This one has come to us from Cameron. Mortgage broking. What do you think about mortgage broking? In, uh, in this, in this not company? a lot. Um, I mean, they've, the mortgage broking has been a big growth area over the last decade with the banks basically outsourcing sales and marketing. And that's, that's sort of in reverse a bit. I mean, there's, with the, after the Royal Commissions and all the rest of it. Bit um, of uh, the reality dodgy is, practices? Well, there's all, bit, I mean, or? a lot of it's to do with when you incentivize someone to sell a, a mortgage. And they're, 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 the, the potential is that they can uh, misrep, mislead on the, um, the assets of the person and so on. This is what happened big time back in uh, 2008, you know, yeah. prior to the, uh, and yeah. there was a straight fraud in those days. I'm not suggesting there's any fraud now, but the point is, the argument is when the banks um, uh, outsource control of all this, they have no ability to really, now I'm sure they're checking on them all now. So it's got a lot harder. Yeah. Having said that, they work on a very traditional model of commission on the initial initiation and then a trailing commission ongoing, which should be okay. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the business, it's a reasonable sized business and it's got quite good stability. Mm -hmm. uh, 690 mil uh, market cap, it's got a six year history. It passes uh, all of our metrics apart from uh, the um, uh, return. And mm -hmm. we're showing it returning about 1.8% a year on on a margin of safety and about 14% on default. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning defaults basically, if they continue doing exactly what they're doing now, you should get about 14%, which you'd say is good, but Great. margin of safety is a more conservative view. Yep. And that's down at the 1.8. I tend to like close to eight or 10% on margin of safety to really say that it's a, it's a good value proposition in the current, in the current market. Yep. Uh, it doesn't have, uh, what's this, debt? I don't think they've got any, uh, no debt. Um, I suppose they securitise it because they do their own products as well. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So I don't know a lot about the business other than that. So you're not going to buy it though? No. No, okay. Scott, what do you reckon there? I think uh, Mark's made a good point. I've heard you say this one before, that he whose bread I eat, his song I sing. Oh. Is, is there something to be said uh, about that? Yeah, there really is. And I think that's where you've got to be. I've never heard Look, this. I mean, at the end of the day, as long as they're serving the client well, they're getting paid by the bank. I mean, there's no inherent problem with it as long as it's done well. The risk, of course, as we well know, is once you create those perverse incentives, someone is going to find a way to go down that path. And I think mm. that's the, the, the key risk. For AFG, as Mark's already said, because they do a combination of their own securitization and broking, it's a bit of a, you know, the old camel, it's not quite a horse, not quite a, uh, not quite a donkey, whatever else you want to mix it with. Um, mm -hmm. It's very much that, that you know, that, that business stuck somewhere in between. Do you, re do you value it as a bank? Do you value it as a ticket clipper? In theory, if you're a mortgage broker with no balance sheet risk and you've got a growing household debt, um, so housing debt, so I should say, housing debt, um, market to be selling into, which frankly I think is probably likely in 2021 and beyond, mm. you're in a reasonably <clears> good position to make more money year on year as long as you can maintain or grow market share. So I'm kind of tempted to want to like this one, I have to say. I'm not super bullish on property, as you well know, mate. I'm less bearish than you, though. Let's um, let's let's not go there. <laughs> that's not hard to do. Because that's the other hour, the rest of the hour gone. Yeah. Um, but look, I think in terms of, you know, I expect there'll be more housing debt written in 2021 than 2020, both refinancing new debt and higher prices. That's a really good combination if you're a broker or a lender. Um, 15 odd times earnings, though, it's a little bit too expensive for me. And I have to say, my, my biggest question, frankly, is the quality of the loan book. When you do your own debt, it's really, really hard to know what that is. And I think in that sort of scenario, you probably want to stick with the tried and true. And that might mean we miss some opportunity with something like AFG. But 
again, if you, you know, we, we talk about debt on the balance sheet generally for most businesses. When your business is debt, you want to be very, very sure you know how well it's being managed. Remember, of course, and this is going back into ancient history, Westpac almost went broke in the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not unforeseen that a business with debt on its books, particularly mortgage debt, gets itself in trouble by simply writing bad risks. Uh, the yeah. insurers themselves, by the way, at the moment, writing bad policies and are getting caught on the hook for COVID rules. So, you know, you got to be really, really careful. I, I, it doesn't look super expensive. I have to say, I wouldn't blame anyone for buying this one, but I can't go there myself at the current price. I just think there's enough marginal safety to use Mark's phrase, um, given the opportunity elsewhere for other better ideas. This just doesn't seem high enough quality to be paying up 16 odd times earnings for. Okay, just one thing to add to that too, adding on what Scott said about the debt side, the uh, Rams home loans, remember in the GFC I went do. under. Yes. And the reason is it's an old trap where uh, borrowers borrow short and lend long. Yeah. And, and if there's a crisis where the credit cuts cut off, it's sayonara, which is what happened to Rams. Yep. And they tend to do that. And the reason they keep doing it is short term rates are cheaper. Mm. So you go, you always rationalize it going, well, there's no problem rolling it over at 1% or whatever until there is. Until you can't. Yes. Yep. Yep. Very, very, very good points. And history is full of lessons yep. in this space. So uh, students of history, uh, I think probably a little better armed there. Let's talk about uh, a, a company that's uh, like with Ramsey, I mean, share price hasn't done much for five years. Heck, this one hasn't done much for about 10 years. Uh, Scott, I'm going to go with you first this time here. Borrell, I had a quick look. Shares, in fact, sideways for 10 years. Uh, earnings per share, not really doing much. And you're paying a PE of 27 and a yield of about 1%. Give me, give me something to like about Borrell and give Greg something to like who's written in and asked about it. I'm done, mate. You've covered it. We can go to, we can go to Mark now. No, I'm done. So first thing I do want to say, honestly, is uh, yeah, you're right to highlight the fact that shares have gone nowhere in 10 years. But I've got to say, that's not the fault of the company. Maybe it is, by the way. But share price, of course, are the fault of shareholders, not the company. We, we set the share prices. We either buy for too high, sell for too low, or hopefully the way around, buy low and sell high. In either case, you know, if a share price is too high for a business, yes, they have their own role in pumping shares up and overselling things. And I don't know in Borrell's case whether it's deserved or not, but I do want to just be, be a little bit clear. You know, if a company's share price falls just because we, we paid too much for it in the past, I don't want to blame a company for that. It's not it's their a, fault. It's an house. excellent point, mate. It is an excellent point. And, but I'll, 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 I'll come at it from a better standpoint. The, the per share earnings were higher 10 years ago than they are today. Right. And that's the key one, right? So yep. when you think about, look, it's tempting to want to play, if you play Bora, you want to play, you want to be a cyclical short-term investor. And that's a very tough thing to do. It's too tough for me to do, I just don't do it. Mm. You've got to try and pick where you are in the cycle. The reason it does that is a bit like miners, right? That the, the housing market, the construction markets are cyclical and volatile. Um, margins compress and expand based on the, the laws of supply and demand. When everyone wants to build a house, and there's not a lot of players out there, you make a fortune. When everyone, you know, everyone's shutting shop, and there's a dozen people out there searching for business, you're doing it at a loss just to get some business through the doors. So it's a really, really tough business to operate generally. I don't, a bit like airlines, I, I, you know, I'm never, I'm never, you know, wishing those sort of jobs on anybody. It's a really tough thing to do really, really well. Just staying afloat is good enough most of the time to say you've done a pretty good job as a boss. That being said, that doesn't make it a great investment. So if you want to play this one, like 28 times earnings you started with, Andrew, and you're dead, right? It's it's a very high price to pay. Maybe arguably earnings are, are suppressed because of COVID, and maybe I'm being a little bit um, disingenuous by using 28 times earnings as a metric. But, you know, you're in a commodity industry where you're largely, I mean, yeah, there are some specific differences in businesses, but, you know, in your in, in infrastructure and construction, um, you're building materials. They're not exactly a dime a dozen, but gee, they're not that far different either. I, I've got to say, it's just not one that I want to buy unless I get a really cheap price. 
Um, or if you're gonna pay a high PE, you wanna pay a high PE at a cyclical low for the business itself. Mm. Uh, I don't think either of those necessarily is present right now. I don't expect it to beat the market over the next five years. Mark, no growth isn't necessarily no. bad. No. If, especially maybe if this thing, in, in particularly in the current environment, was throwing you a 6% fully frank yield, you'd probably be happy to take that. But, mm-hmm. but at 1% or 1.2% is it worthwhile? No, no. The, only, the only positive thing I can say about their numbers is their stability of sales is quite good. It's 90% right. stable. Very stable uh, sideways. But at yeah. minus 1.8% per year. Mm. So sales have been going down as well. Mm. So during that period, you mentioned that the earnings have gone down, sales as well. So if their sales are in decline, and if you look at it, it's been a 10-year decline. Yeah. That means they're either losing market share or something's going wrong. Isn't it? They're selling less of their stuff. Yeah. So that makes it very, very hard to get earnings growth when your sales are going down. So uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, we're showing it returning minus 11% per year on safety and minus 10.8 on default. So in other words, our view is if you bought it today, you're going to lose 10% of your capital per year average over the next five years. Yeah. So forget the 1% dividend. <laughs> you, know, yeah. it's, you know, you're going to lose nine, ten times that yeah. in capital value. Yeah. And to get the price to a point where it would make sense, it, from our, uh, on our, from our, uh, from Team Invest point of view, it needs to be, uh, you won't like this, a dollar sixty-two, and it's currently four dollars okay. eighty-four. So okay. it's so far out of the money based on its fundamentals mm. uh, that it's not even close. Yeah. Yep. Okay, uh, Greg, I hope that's offered uh, a bit of perspective for you. Uh, that's a double thumbs down. I'm going to give it a triple thumbs down, throw my weight behind <laughs> that as well. So which, which probably means the shares are going to double in the next month or so, but probably not a good bet for anything longer than that. Um, let's go with Monadelphus. Mark, I'm going to stay with you. This is one that Team Invest has been involved in in the past. It has, it has. Um, um, but yep. it hasn't gone that well. No, no, it's done terribly in the last few years. Yeah. Um, this is a business, Monitor Office is in uh, enge- mining engineering. Yep. They were primarily into uh, the iron ore construction phase when we went through the boom uh, up to about 2012, you know, from 10 years prior to that. So they did brilliantly well. Brilliant. And, and I think yeah. they were 27% a year average compound return. Yep. Very, very well managed, uh, very trustworthy engineering type management of our founders. Uh, Rob Valletri we know very well. Yep. Um, and then they told us the mining boom was all going to come off well before it did. Mm-hmm. And they started diversifying the business into oil and gas to take off their reliance on iron, which is all good. Yep. You know, so you couldn't criticise that. Yep. Then we had shale oil happened and then all the oil prices dropped. So it ended up being problematic, but the strategy was right. Right. Now I think it's more than half their business is in oil and gas, but mainly in maintenance and so on. So a lot of their income is more reliable, whereas it used to be contract based, which is always a risk because you're totally reliant on the contract cycle with the major players to get work. And that dried up after the, um, um, uh, 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 when the mining boom started winding down, it bottomed out in 2016. Uh, We got interested in Monodelphus then. Uh, but they didn't turn around like some of the others. So everyone, the share price leapt up, the PE leapt up uh, on their first sh- first sign of earnings going up again. Yep. And I didn't buy any then. Some members did, but uh, Howard's kept his all the way through. Okay. Most has been fine. Yep. Um, but um, they have they haven't been able to replicate the EPS growth rate. And in fact, their return on equity is now nine point five. It's below our um, our minimum of ten. Uh, they don't have much debt. It's still quite stable. It's just too expensive, you know, for the for what the earnings are. So mm. it's currently on a P of thirty five point eight, yep. and its current earnings gross negative. Your sales neg- sales are negative at one point eight, the same as Borrell. Yep. And so earnings are on a negative to a tune of sixteen percent a year at the moment. So they've actually got a lot of work to do before we'd get interested in buying it again. But definitely yep. quality management. We used to say Monodelphus was the best engineering company in the country. Yep. 
Um, maybe still is. Yep. It's a hard area. But it's a tough, it's it's a a tough, tough area tough. to operate. And they've, shifted, they've de-risked it from the point of view of moving from contract work to more maintenance. And that's great, but right. obviously at much lower margins. Hey, Scott, do you think um, the resurg- resurgence in interest for, and prices, it should be said, for iron ore is, is good news for Monodelphus? Andrew, look, I think what's challenging, and Mark actually uh, nailed my comment at the, in the very last couple of, couple of words he said, which is, uh, stole my thunder beautifully, Mark, well done. Uh, you know, I was thinking about you know, the, the very idea of you can be the best in the industry, and while the industry's going okay, that's all right. Um, being, being the least worst or the best in a tough industry is still really, really tough. And to some degree, I think mining services over the last decade or so, particularly over the last five years, has really struggled. And, you know, it's okay to be the best in the space uh, when the economics just simply don't make sense for anyone in the industry or at least most players in the industry. That's a really tough place to be. And so I think, yeah, look, resurgent iron ore is going to help to some degree. Um, more volume, of course, always helps because someone needs to do the work and increasingly that's mining services contractors. So that's a positive. I do have a latent concern with all of these services companies, whether they're IT services, marketing services, mining services. You are the... Uh, you're the incremental provider of service, right? And that's okay, while ever you've got growth in the industry. When things start to contract, they have contractors by definition because they're easy to get rid of, which means you get great margins on the way up because you can charge surplus. When things go badly, you flick the contractors really quickly. There's no deal. Maybe you've got a contract for the rest of the year or six months or something else. You say, look, guys, thanks very much, but work's dried up, we're out of here. And that makes it a really tough thing to do. I think, you know, while, while the industry's growing, and you're the best in the business, you're always gonna be the first one. And frankly, while you're the best, you're also the last out the door, and that's a positive because you're gonna your competitors are gonna feel the pain far, far earlier than you do. But unfortunately, it's one of those scenarios where it becomes a cyclical play by definition. Even though the business, has, as Mark rightly says, is not cyclical in and of itself, the volumes, both in terms of the number of mines or, or drilling locations and the volume of commodity actually withdrawn makes a difference for those guys because it really does influence the amount of work they get to do. Um, that maintenance, again, is to some degree a bit more resilient, as Mark's already mentioned, but it's still that sense of you've got, you've got to have the mines or the, or, or the wells there to, to maintain and look after, and that is a function of price and, and attractiveness of the commodity itself. So uh, is iron ore good for money offers? Yes, in terms of soaking up some excess demand from the industry, giving them and their competitors a chance to maybe look at some better prices, some more volume, some more business. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, as I said. You, you, the upside's not going to come if you only do maintenance either, by the way. The upside comes from that extra you know, contract production or, or contract um, crushing those kind of services that are done by mining services businesses. So you need that growth in that additional volume to get any sort of business growth, but then you're going to live by the sword and die by the sword as well. All right, fair enough. So we are in uh, three companies and it's a double thumbs down for all of them so far. Monodelphus coming from Simon. Uh, there we go, Simon. No love from the experts. Uh, Mark, I'll start with you again <coughs> here. Uh, Tribeca Global Natural Resources, TGF is the code. Uh, Gil wants to know, I assume that this was going to be a mining company, but at a quick Google tells me it's a, uh, it's a fund manager. Yeah, um, it's a fund manager, manager that's only been listed for two years. Right. So there's not much of a history, which makes it difficult for team invest because yeah. we obviously rely on history to be able to see where the management can deliver yep um, it hasn't been a great there's no years. shortage of fund managers by the way sure i think there's five thousand in australia there's more there's fund, more fund managers than listed stocks. shares yes yeah. <laughs> that's right love that now state. these guys yeah. are in uh, natural resources yep um so they yeah they're, they're they're in energy and science a bit vague yes um i sort of read the the blurb on it and i thought mm, and then I looked at the results, and the, even though they've only been listed for two years, the, the initial trend's not good. No. Uh, <laughs> they've gone from negative, uh, small negative in the first year, you know, $1.47 a share loss to 
uh, $43, oh, some return on equity, negative $43 in year two, which effectively means they've lost 43% of the capital yep. in the business. Yep. So uh, none of that's very encouraging. So it's hard to really have an opinion on it other than that. Surely with what <laughs> commodity <laughs> prices have been doing recently, at least that's got to be positive news for them. No, well, if they're, if they're a fund manager, they're investing in commodities. Yeah. Right? So, so then it comes down to how good are they at picking the right investments. Gotcha. So, yeah. And also the other thing there is also they're a bit of a fund of a fund. And when I read how they choose the companies, I thought it was a bit bizarre. Part of it, I think 40%, don't quote me, was based on uh, consensus forecasts at some conference. So they listened to the best ideas of other fund managers uh-huh. and they picked the ones they liked out of those. That was 40% of the fund. Okay. And then they, they had, it was like, in other words, it was like a bit of a fund of a fund. We'll take your best idea. Doesn't mean it's any good, but, and then we'll invest in it. And, okay. we can, and if you're an investor, you're saying, I'm going to pay for you guys to pick other people to make decisions for you. Wow, that is a layer of abstraction. That's an interesting oh, well, it, one. I, I sort yeah. of read, I thought, this sounds like BS to me. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> what, do, what do you reckon, Scott? I, I can probably guess, but, but let us know anyway. Like, yeah, you're probably able to guess, Andrew. I think that's a fair one. I can't disagree with Mark at all. Uh, look, you know, at the end of the day, if you're paying someone, we know fund managers tend to lose the market firstly, right? And that's largely because of fees. So the first thing, as soon as you're paying someone else to do the work for you, you're handing over some of those returns. You better hope they've got something in the kit to deliver a surplus return. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, look, uh, Frank, I mean, we're making a bit of fun of it and probably maybe justifiably. There's nothing wrong with finding great fund managers and following. We do that as investors sometimes, right? Plenty of people watching here, we invest in managed funds because they like whoever it is, Hamish Douglas or Jeff Wilson, or you know, pick your pick your fund manager. We, you know, a lot of us do that anyway. So you know, being a fund and kind of doing the same thing is not the world's worst idea. But as as you guys are rightly pointing out, if you're paying fees on top of fees to do exactly that. You wonder what you're getting, and maybe you just go straight to the source instead of going through these guys. If you're if you're waiting for consensus picks, the other problem, of course, is consensus is rarely right because consensus gives you average. If you're getting average and then paying fees, you're losing to the market. So it, it literally does. You know, unless you're getting something specifically that out that provides out performance and justifiably provides out performance, it's a tough one. Losing money, as Mark's already said, um, very hard to find enough to recommend this. Quite honestly, and I don't even mean that um, sarcastically. If you think about it, you know, why would you buy it? Would you buy it because Maybe there's a track record or maybe they've got some specific IP or maybe because something, maybe they're making money or it's cheap on some sort of PE basis. None of those things really holds true. Um, the other reason you would, you would buy something that wasn't making money is if you believe with some basis for belief, the future is going to be bright. There's going to be some level of profitability you can assess somehow. I just think you can with Tribex. So I understand the interest worth having a look at. Just maybe there's some value there and maybe there is, but there's no fundamental basis for believing that will be the case moving forward. If you like the idea of a, a resources fund manager, by all means, keep it on the radar. Keep a look, you know, watch it and see how it goes. Uh, but jumping on this one now, there's really nothing to recommend it, unfortunately. Okay, no love there. Although, Gil, I will say the shares have gone from, what, uh, 80 odd cents to $1.60. So there was definitely some gains to be had there if, if you're okay with, with the timing. Let's talk about uh, a very, uh, one of my favorite shares, Prometicus and Scott. I have to remind you of this. It was at your dinner table that I first purchased shares in Prometicus. Do you remember what the price was back then? <laughs> you know what? Even if I did, I think you'd probably want to tell me anyway, so I'll give you the luxury. Go uh, it was 80 cents or something, but you know, no one's no one's keeping track of uh, this kind of stuff. But 30, mate, that, $33 now? Uh, 30, yeah, that's, I think it is about that. So. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> Now that now we've done that uh, shameless shameless uh, victory lap, mate. So that was then. This is now. Uh, would you buy it today? I guess is the question. 
I, I didn't and wouldn't have bought it then, so more fool me, and uh, feel free to disregard the rest of my comments on that basis <laughs> alone. Um, this one's 130-odd times earnings. I, yeah. I still can't work out the valuation, mate. I think it was a... Look, here's the thing. It's a successful business growing nicely. That, that there's not, there's, I have no issues with the business with technology whatsoever. To get, though, from that to 132, I think it was, times earnings when I looked at the numbers this morning, um, I don't know, there are some businesses where you can look at that and say, okay, like an Amazon, or I own shares in Amazon for the record, um, or, or a business you can say, okay, look, here, here's the long-term growth story, here's how much market it's got left, here's why it's likely to keep winning, um, and maybe you can kind of make that argument for Prometica. So again, on a fundamental business level, a great business, like really good business, really well run, like it a lot. Can you pay 130 times earnings for that and hope that maybe it grows eightfold just to be out of PE of 15? Um, I mean, if, if that's your starting premise, um, that, that's a lot, right? And then, and then while it grows, it's got to keep up with the market, so it's got to keep growing on top of that. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you have enough faith. No, you personally, although I'll ask you because you were probably still own the shares. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know how you have enough faith that that this price is a reasonable one to pay. So no issue fundamentally, no issue on the business itself. Just can't. You know, if the price halved tomorrow and it was still sixty-five times earnings, I don't know how you would justify either or both of those prices on any fundamental basis. So I'm giving it a miss on valuation alone. I like it, I'll keep an eye on it. Great to see an Australian company doing well on the world stage. It has got some really, really top class medical facilities in, in uh, the US in particular in Europe. So, you know, doing everything it needs to do. And again, like I started with, the company's not responsible for the share price. So you know, all it can do is keep doing its thing. Uh, but I, I can't buy the shares at today's price, no. No, mate, I, I'm actually not a million miles away from you. And Mark, before you think I'm, I'm too smart, I have sold plenty on the way up. And I tell you what, they are far more painful, aren't they, than, oh. than, than well, taking I, I, I sold Sears, I got 55. Oh, I wasn't, I think about 80 I sold, so. <laughs> so but I did, buy, I did buy back at 290 something. Oh, good, good recently. for you, good for yeah, you. Yeah. That's hard, psychologically, yeah, 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 that's it very is, hard it to is, do. It is, but I feel better for myself. I've yes. Got, okay, <laughs> um, Prometicus, it's been a Team Invest Wealth winner for about about seven, six years, six years. So. Um, a lot of our members have done really, really well on it. Unfortunately, I never bought it, uh, using Scott's uh, argument about the PE being too high. Now, if you look at the PE range over the years, it's always been high. Mm. Uh, like I imagine a safety PE, which is terminal PE in five years, is 85 on a margin of safety. Now, why is that? That is based on its historical PEs. Yep. So um, now, why? what justification is there for that PE? It's earnings growth. And the EPS growth rate for this last six years has averaged 46% a year. So that is a, a, a material factor in justifying a very high PE. Now the challenge is we're looking to the future. So if we say in five years time, and Team Invest works on a rolling five years, so we're saying if I buy it today, what's my return going to be over the next five years with an assumed terminal PE? Now if I, if I use a margin of safety, I can tell you what the answers are. Um, it's going to have a terminal PE of 85, and it's going to, if I wanted a 10% return, I could only pay, um, uh, $31.37. Now that's not far off not from where miles it is. Away. And that's because yeah. the EPS growth rate is so high. Because yeah. as each year the earnings go up, and if the PE, if the PE doesn't go out, you know, you, you, your return is based on that. So, yes. so the, uh, the price is the market sentiment, the earnings are the reality. Yep. Challenge is, can they keep growing at that level? At some point in time... Well, mathematically, no. Well, they can't. No, but eventually. In, in a five-year yeah. horizon, they can. Yep. Just so uh, viewers know what they do, this is a company that... Uh, provides uh, radiologists and MRI machine imagery to the to the uh, uh, people who the medicos and so on who they need it, and they have patented processes of how they transfer the 
data in high, re high definition really fast with small data sizes. Yep. So it's quite unique and they actually have a whole suite of patents yep. on it, which is really big. Yep. They've got a big structural shift in the industry. On well, how it's a it's massive done. growth industry. Yep. It, the the uh, number of scans being done is exponentially yep. growing, not to mention the developing world, just in the West it is. Yep. And they have the Mayo Clinic. They're winning nearly, they seem to win all of the tenders all they go in. Big ones, yeah. And the, the business model is fabulous because what they do is they sell a hospital. A hospital commits for a, typically a five to seven year contract and they commit to how many million scans they're going to buy. So they negotiate the price pre-committed pre for seven years uh, going forward. And then any volume above that, they pay a higher price per scan, which yep. obviously the hospital has to juggle that. It's a fantastic business model. Yeah. So every time they add a client, they add a seven year income stream yep. to the business. So you can't, Plus there's ups, this upside is quite in, in the contracts as well, because uh, they, they get a paper. And, because, and we spoke to the CEO of Mayo Clinic, in uh, the US, and okay. Mayo's massive, you know, it's one of the sure, biggest. Sure, sure. Uh, and uh, we, one of our members was his uh, uh, teacher's Aussie okay. uh, at uh, university. And he, we asked them about uh, ProMedicus, and they, he said they did a very extensive scan of the market and looked at everything, and he said ProMedicus is the best in breed globally. Yeah. So their technology. So this is all good, and these are strong modes. I'll add a couple other things as well. They, I just, they, I'll, 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 I'll remind you of my comments at the start of the okay, show yeah. because I'm the one who gets the blame for this. <laughs> yeah. No, not on this. I just mean in terms of time, but please. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, anyway, a good um, they've also got an AI uh, JV with Yale University at the moment, yes. which what they're doing is they're taking all of their library of uh, breast uh, scans for eight years, I'd be probably millions of them, and they're using the, this new AI to obviously to, to do um, pre uh, uh, interpretation of what the scans mean and so on. Now, radiology has always been put up as being an early adopter of uh, AI. Yep. Uh, so they're doing AI it. loves images. And this is all potentially yep. new income for them. So I'm actually quite bullish about it and I want to buy it, but it's, uh, I struggle with the PE, but I'm more concerned about earnings. Earnings have dropped. Late last year, they were, uh, they've dropped to 38. So it's coming down because as they get bigger, yep. it'll come down. But I think they're going to be 20 plus. Uh, for in five years at least, yeah. you know, their earnings growth. So it's just a question of how much you pay for it. So would you buy it? Uh, nearly, nearly. Okay, yeah. not but not going to get you the line. You did have an opportunity uh, earlier this year at fifteen dollars. Uh, Howard, Howard, Howard bought a whole heap. Well, Howard, Howard's not the only how one. How annoying is that? <laughs> Normally, I'd be very annoyed, but I joined you and again. A shameless, shameless. And, you bought some? Uh, I, I, I did a bunch, yeah, actually, yeah. but. But uh, uh, there's there's plenty of other sins to offset that. Yeah. So, so this know. is on my uh, to buy list. It has been for years, and I'm yeah. I'm moving my way up yeah. the price because I know for the last five years, any time I bought it, I would have done really well. Yeah, totally. Okay. Oh my gosh, we could talk ProMedicus all day long. I know Scott <laughs> so would love in. to it's in. as well. It's um, in for me. It's in for it's in for Mark. Um, let's do a very quick recap. Uh, we had Australian Finance Group. Uh, starting it off from Cameron, two thumbs down, just too expensive. Some questions over the loan book quality, uh, tough area. Borrow the company that's just never really done much at all, and uh, and 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 for that privilege, you're paying 27 times earnings. So uh, double thumbs down from the guys. Monodelphus Group had a really wonderful performance pre-mining or in, during the mining boom, but since then it has struggled to get any earnings growth. So two thumbs down from the gents there. Tribeca Global Natural Resources, again, uh, no love from the experts, just really, I guess, not their space to begin with, but also not too enamored by the particular business model. When it came to ProMedicus, which is arguably the best stock on the ASX, uh, the, 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 uh, the big question there one of was one of the best companies <laughs> on the ASX, 
blatant blatant bias here from your moderator um, is is uh, just too expensive according to Scott and just getting it over the line at the uh, at the last minute from Mark. Now, what does uh, what does that mean? Well, unfortunately for Prometicus, it means it gets booted out of oh, the portfolio can, can, that can we, we have. Can, can we ask Scott to just think about whether you can reconsider? I, I know Scott. I think that'd be sad. I know Scott well enough to know that I'm I'm probably not going to get him to shift. Is that fair enough, Scott? Spot on, well done. Spot on. <laughs> okay, there we go. Kicking it out, too. There, there we worth go. A shot, worth the shot. Worth it. Yeah. No, we had to try. Um, so, what does that mean? We have a portfolio here on the call. Whenever we get two thumbs up, we add it. We add it at the close of that trading day, and if we get anything but, we kick it out. So, let's have a little bit of a squeeze at how that has performed. We started it on the very first day of the financial year, and it's gone absolutely amazingly well, just shy of twenty-four percent. We've had uh, a bunch of stocks uh, added and removed as is always the case the most recent five stocks added are on your screen you can dive into that in much more detail by heading to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio as i always say a really great way to shortlist some stocks if you're having uh, a bit of a struggle as to what stocks might be worth a closer look and of course this isn't just blatant buy recommendations this is if anything just a idea generator and for that I think it's uh, world class so please do check it out let's get into the second half of the show we're already behind the uh, the, the the mark here um, Scott I'm gonna go to you if we can a nice succinct answer and I know this is tough as well because this is another fascinating space a2 milk Jimmy wants to know does he buy or Andrew, does he I sell? told you I, I demand equal time mate so we're going to hop past what no I'm kidding okay fair uh, enough look, I, <laughs> <laughs> H is a really great company. It's one of those businesses, an Australasian success story, I like to say, a uh, business that is that's, that's taken on the world and winning, which is really fantastic to see in a world where, frankly, Australian companies haven't done a spectacular job going overseas. Now, the kind of China contingent are having their own issues right now and have done relatively well, sans the geopolitical issues, I suppose. But A2, one of the few going to North America and seeming to make some really good inroads, some nice beaches into that particular market. Now, of course, the A2 milk with the A2 protein, it's, 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 it's a functional food, but honestly, it's a marketing juggernaut. And the success of this one, if you're an A2 devotee, you say, no, it's the milk, it's the milk. And I'm sure for you that's true. For the business itself, it is a marketing masterstroke. To be able to yeah. find a way to charge a premium price for white milk, yes, it's different, but man, that is a, an amazing success story as, a, as an organization, right? You can create pricing power where there is none. There is nothing in the supermarket you know, that is less pricing power than a commoditized product like white milk. We know the supermarkets themselves were selling it for a buck a litre. You know, literally, this was, this, this was yep. a price driver. Why would you pay more? The answer is A2 convince you to do so without any strong, direct scientific claims to my knowledge. If that's not true, someone will let me know, I'm that sure. That is 100% um, true and you beat me to it, mate. Ah, there you go. So, but certainly the, the story, of course, is their, you know, their, their customers. That they've created a sense in their customers, real or imagined, that A2 milk makes them feel better. And that's all you need to do. And if you do that, and then they share, they become evangelists for this product. And such is the, uh, you know, the, the perceived benefit that it's just taken on a life of its own. Remember, of course, there is something specific about this milk. The A2 protein separated from A1. So two types of milk proteins, A1 and A2. Not super imaginatively named, but there you go. Um, A2 milk is made using cows that only have the A2 protein in their milk. The removal or the exclusion of A1 is believed by some people to provide better quality milk, easier to digest, uh, less issues, uh, particularly people who are uh, lactose intolerant or simply don't digest milk particularly well. And they've built a business around it, done a spectacular job. Now, the A2 protein requires its own herd, of course. So there are some some small barriers to entry which are not 
you know, not, not nothing that, you know, <laughs> trying to create a herd of cows from scratch is not easy to do. You've got to breed them. You've got to do all the stuff that goes with you, feed them. You've got to look after them. You know, it's a decent process to get up and running. But that being said, it's not exactly a unique or trademarkable idea to take A1 out of, out of milk and just leave the A2 protein behind. Mm. Of course, the other risk for the business is, you know, I, I, I've told this story before, but Blackmore is another company that has products with, uh, with, with questionable scientific claims. The business itself has, has you know, Blackmores is a brand with lots of products. Now, I, I've told this story before. My old man, when I was a kid, used to eat garlic tablets like they were going out of style. Uh, used to hey, Ollie. just, just you know, down the, down the gob. Got, garlic went out of fashion. No one takes it anymore. But Blackmores survives because the brand is bigger than the product. The risk for A2 is A2 is A2 is A2. And if people move on from A2 milk to something else, I don't know if you can have A2 almond milk or A2 oat milk or something else. Maybe you can. Uh, but the very reason for being for the entire company is centered around that specific protein. Now, all of that said, I'm a fan. Uh, I think it's a buy, so I'm, I'm happy to happy to buy it. I don't own it personally, but happy to make it a buy recommendation. It is for us at the Motley Fool, so I like the company. I like what we're doing. Uh, the growth they're getting, particularly in North America, is impressive in that new beachhead I talked about. So happy with the company, positive on its growth story, but with, not without its risks. And if you're going to buy the shares, recognize that there are some really meaningful existential risks if things go badly for you. Some some detailed points there from Scott. Uh, Mark, what do you think of A2? Um, I think A2 is a uh, fantastic success story and it's important for any of the CCP Chinese Communist Party viewers that they re- remember that this is a New Zealand company that's okay. just co-listed in Australia. It's not Australian, so there's no reason to get nasty on it. Because you know, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> New Zealand's are nice and friendly. Yes, yes. Okay, New Zealand. Keep us out of it. That's yeah. nothing to do with Australia. Okay. It's a New Zealand company. Okay. So uh, uh, it's not just milk. What they've done is they've then packaged that into baby uh, powdered milk and so on. And the brand in China is extremely strong. And uh, we've seen a lot of data on, uh, on, their, on their research as well. And they're gaining significant market share in the mother and baby stores, MBS, MBSs, which is a big part of distribution in China. When you ta- forget the dargals and so on, this is the actual internal distribution of milk. And the reason is the, the wealth effect in China and the fact that you've got a limited number of kids. There's still mainly one child per family. So you've got about grandparents on both sides. You've got a hell of a lot of people who are willing to support this precious child yep. which means you give them the best the most expensive baby milk there is and that's a2 yep. and they are actually have averaged 22 percent net profit margin after tax on a milk product which is unheard of it's amazing and yep. in their forecast going forward they reckon they're going to increase it to 27 to 29 percent mm-hmm. so they're talking about increasing in now, quickly, I know we're running out of time. The opportunity at the moment is the share price has basically halved. It's come down from just under 20 to $10 in the last couple of days. And yeah. the reason is they came out and said that they were revising their guidance, uh, mainly because of the effect of coronavirus on diagals. Diagals is the personal shoppers you then send it back. Because often students. Often students. Yep. And because that's all uh, been frozen, it's, it's affected them more than they thought. Yep. And they've lost sales momentum on that. So they've, they've, they're now not providing guidance. But this is a business that has got a, a brilliant brand. And I think the A2 brand, by the way, um, they do have it trademarked and so on. And there's been challenges to it. And so far, they've fought everybody off. Okay. Our view is eventually they'll lose it. But it doesn't change the fact that they have the brand in the market, yep. which is very, very strong. So even if Nestle or someone can sell something with A2, they can't match their trademark, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for the way it's presented and so on. So we're, not, we're less worried about that, but it is a risk. Yep. Um, and what's happened is because they've dropped earnings uh, for this period a bit, the market's panicked and sold it down by 50%. 
Good old this is, Mr. If this market. Is not, if this yeah. is not a screaming buying opportunity for A2 mill, I bought some yesterday. So Okay. So now I'm keen for everyone else to buy it and push the share price back really fast. Well, it's at the bottom of the quartile of the PE range at the moment. It's on 20 PE, which for their EPS growth rate, which has been running at 120% a yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. To buy. To buy. Um, and that, and that, is, that is an emphatic buy, Jimmy. Mm. So there you go. The first one of the show. Gents, I'm going to give you another friendly reminder here. Otherwise, we're going to have to start getting a bit harsh. Very quickly, Vmoto, Mr. Phillips, VMT. Tell us about that. We got quick. If you'd spent less time talking about ProMedics, we have plenty of time left <laughs> That's on the program. True. Yeah. Fair uh, call. Fair call. <laughs> Vmoto is a Chinese-based electric bike maker, motorcycle maker, which was all the rage for quite a while and still sports a very lofty P of 67 times earnings. It has gone from loss to profit to loss to loss to profit to loss. Yeah. Uh, this is a business that is really struggling to find its way through. It's one of those businesses that was mentioned in the same breath as Tesla. Um, it's always easy when you do that, by the way. That's guaranteed to push the share price up. And the idea of electric transportation is going to have its day. There will be a time, I'm pretty sure, where we don't use internal combustion engines for motorbikes or cars or anything else. And in fact, motorbikes are easy because they're so light, they're actually easier to power using electricity than a traditional car, right? Because just simply you need less weight to push around, the batteries last longer, go longer, and they're already, motorbikes are already so super frugal, it's an easy idea. So the concept is really nice, and that's what's got a lot of investors' attention. Unfortunately, as I said, sales remain reasonably poor. They've jumped in the last little while, and that, that graph, to some degree, demonstrates the growth there. They had a really nice growth in sales in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, which is really good, mm -hmm. and I think there's some traction there. The problem is that 67 times earnings for a business that is marginal in terms of profitability I think you're, you're a brave man to believe they've suddenly turned some sort of permanent corner. It's a speculative one. There's no reason why V-Motor needs to win the electric motorbike race over anybody else. There's plenty of alternative options out there. There will be more, including, I mean, Harley's making electric bikes these days. It tells you everything you need to know. So I don't know if V-Motor's got enough to win. You want to back the, the early leader in these spaces, generally speaking, but you want that early leader to have meaningful traction and meaningful sales momentum and a lead over the competition. V-Motor's not there yet. I'm not buying it now, but I am keeping an eye on it. If and when it shows real significant ongoing traction, <clears throat> it may well be worth a dabble. Anything substantive to add to that? Uh, no, I'd agree with that, except I'm not watching it. Okay. Because so, I have zero interest in it. <laughs> yeah. Last year, it lost 26% of its capital. Uh, oh, yeah, so it's making okay. massive losses. This is a perfect example of a company that's in a prospective area, but they're not managing it to make uh, money for shareholders or don't know how to. Yeah. You, it doesn't matter how good the area is. If you're an idiot management, you, know, you don't make any money. I wonder if uh, Tesla would be uh, getting into this space uh, at some oh. stage too. It seems they're like that's they're getting into trucks and everything else, motorcycles. It seems uh, inevitability. So apologies for that, Philip. Uh, two thumbs down. Mark, going with you again, being mindful of time. Center Group, shopping centers. Mm. Theo wants to know. Any, any. Well, the good news is some of these last ones we can deal with pretty quickly, from my point of view. Anyway. Okay. Good. <laughs> SCG. SCG. Um, yes. Yeah, Center Group. It, it's 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 the old Westfield uh, Properties Trust where they combined the two entities together and put. It Centre Group, uh, Lowy, with brilliant timing, pulled out, what was it, 18 months ago or something? Yeah. I mean, talk about getting the top of the market. Yeah, anyway, yeah. he said at the time, oh, no, no, there's nothing wrong with the shopping centre model. I'm, I'm just going to do my philanthropic things now. Yes. I'll just pack up my bat and ball and go home. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was brilliant. Genius timing. Yeah, genius timing. Um, we're showing it um, returning um, about 7.3% um, a year. I mean, it's not a disaster. Uh, the PE's come down qu quite a long way. It's on 14.5. We have zero interest in it because obviously the area's got massive headwinds and to be able to work out what the implications of the coronavirus are on ultimately on rents and all that, it, it, who knows? I mean, yeah. it's, I don't see how it can be good. 
Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think they've got pretty big headwinds. Uh, return on capital and return on equity are in the fives. You know, so it's very, very mediocre. Mm. Um, okay. It's just, you know, just not very exciting at all for me. Okay, Scott, what do you think? Um, look, I think on the on the retail REITs, centres probably at the top end. You know, they are the destination centres. They're the, probably the last ones to fold. I think there'll be a hollowing out of retail and you'll have that middle section hollowing out. The local shopping centre, the convenience, the Woolies, the Coles, the cafe, they'll be fine. Westfield stores owned by Centre will be fine because you go there to go there. You go to the movies, you go to the shops, you go and meet your friends. It's the place you're going to go. The mid-tier are the ones that are in real trouble. That being said, um, Mark's right. The the, the retail, recent retail wars we saw with Premier, Mosaic Brands and others, where effectively they managed to talk their landlords down, even though they had contracts that precluded them being talked down, was a reminder that the power of the landlords isn't everything people assume it is. Contracts are seen by some people as a competitive advantage. I think they are the worst, the least effective competitive advantage you have because there are always other things that go with it. The renewal of a future contract always weighs on the current one. And so its enforceability becomes difficult, particularly if you're a large retail uh, tenant. I'm not a massive fan of Centre. I think if you want to buy retail REITs, this is the one to buy, but I wouldn't be buying it. Okay. I'm going to stay with you, Scott. Uh, Pact Group, (sighs) earnings not done a lot. (laughs) Uh, Harry wants to know, should he buy or should he sell or say, say Harry, I don't, I don't love packaging groups because they sell commodity products and they have to run a million miles an hour to keep ahead of the competition because it's easy to copy the new technology that comes out. It'd be like Ansel, your runnings are stay still and that's fine as long as you keep running and as long as you keep standing still. But if you trip the, the old treadmill, imagine the person falling on the treadmill on their face, then rolling to the back of the treadmill. That's what happens to a company that manages to not, not stay far enough ahead of the competition. Once your product becomes commoditized, you're an absolute world of hurt. I don't like any of the packaging companies that I don't like packed. And I'm going to assume, Mark, that Conscious Investor doesn't like this one either. No, 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 I agree. I totally agree. In principle, I don't like any packaging companies either. Yeah. And I'll add that they've got over 300% debt to equity. Now, what that means is they're very, very, capital very heavy. heavy debt. They're very heavy debt level. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at what that means, that means they've only got uh, uh, interest covers uh, two and a half years. So in other words, if there's any significant downturn in the business, they really have, you know, they would really have a big problem yeah, yeah. with uh, raising money or the banks, so depending on how they're doing their financing. So the debt alone would kill it, but it, the fundamentals of the business are uh, very ordinary and we're showing it returning negative uh, 7% on a margin of safety. Yeah, again, um, like a, an earlier business we discussed, maybe, maybe there'd be an argument there with not much growth, but it is a very, very high yield and a super low multiple, but is you're only getting like less than 2% I think is the yield according to what I'm looking at. Yeah. So I mean, the P is not high, but. I don't care if it's a low PE if I don't like the business. Right. Yeah, yeah irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, gotcha. Okay, lucky last. Hearts and minds. Scott, I'll start with you. HM1, I haven't heard of this, no. but James is curious. Uh, can you fill us in on what the business does and whether or not you'd buy it? Yeah, I hadn't heard of this one either, Andrew. I've got to say before uh, before researching it, it's basically a listed investment company that uses the, the, the stock recommendations of some really big, high-profile, heavy-hitter fund managers to basically build a portfolio. And those fund managers give their tips away freely, effectively, and the proceeds of the listed investment company, the, the fee structure, most of that goes to medical research. So really cool idea, okay. one of those kind of do good by doing well or while doing well kind of scenarios. Um, kind of sounds impressive enough, right? And I've got to say, I can't, I can't strongly object to this one on the basis that if you want to invest with a fund manager anyway, and some of the big names, there's Magellan's there, Regal's there, um, I'm going blank on a couple of the others. Mark won't have them. It's it's one of those situations where you think, hang on, I'm getting all that great IP, you're getting the highest conviction ideas, the fees 
most of the fees at least are going to charity. It's hard to, it's hard to object to the idea, quite frankly. So mm. if you're going to go with a fund or a fund manager, there's worse ideas than going with hearts and minds. Of course, you are going to get the net performance of those fund managers, the people who are, who are curating those recommendations, and maybe you do well, maybe you don't. So it's hard to say you're desperately going to you know, smash the market necessarily. If these fund managers have a couple of bad years, then you'll lose to the market. So it's really hard to look at the current price and say, yes, definitely should buy it, or no, you should definitely walk away from it. But I have to say, if you're going to, if you're going to invest in a fund manager, you might as well do one where the, the fees are going to, to a good cause. So uh, look, put, put, a, put a cautious asterisk on that one. It's not a buy for me. Um, but if you're in that space, you're looking for an option, then this fits the bill. There are worse ideas. It is interesting to see a new model, but I'm just going to have to give you a very, very quick right of reply there, Mark. Is uh, something- well, firstly, I just want to apologise because what I said about Tribeca Natural Resources, the other fund we talked about earlier, when I said they were using the uh, the, the votes or what people nominated at the conferences, that's oh, this one. Wires crossed. So, yeah, okay. so I crossed okay. my wires. I apologise. Okay. Oh, good. Uh, oh, good. No, I, I, I agree with everything except the fact of saying it might be not the worst idea. Okay. Because the actual business <laughs> is losing money as well. Share price has doubled, though, oh, no, oh, uh, yeah. since 2018. Yeah. Just, yeah, just underlying, to put it out there. Lending, underlying earnings are negative. Okay, fair enough, <laughs> yeah, fair right. enough. So let's let's do a very quick recap <laughs> of the final five stocks here. And look, this is this is just two thumbs down across the board here, unfortunately. We couldn't get any love except for A2. We had some very emphatic buys there, some cautionary tales about what might happen with that longer term. But uh, Mark even putting his money where his mouth was yesterday, buying some shares, and that's a good sign of conviction. So that is our show for today. We did a little bit better on the timing. Uh, room for improvement though. Um, listen, we, we love getting those suggestions from you. If you do have any uh, that you'd like to send us, well, it's really easy to do. We've got some details that will pop up, pop up on your screen. Uh, the uh, the uh, email address is the call at osbiz.com.au. The Twitter address is at osbiztv. And remember too, to check out our uh, portfolio there, which is doing stunningly well, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio, where you'll get, uh, you will get to see all of the different changes. But Mark, I think this is the last time I'll see you before Christmas. So thanks for all your time uh, in 2020. Yeah. And, and have, have a happy Christmas. You, you too. And, and, uh, and Scott too, uh, up in Barrel. Uh, good to, I hope we can catch up again uh, in person pretty soon, but I hope you have a great Christmas. Thank you, mate. You too, and to Mark and to all our viewers. Thanks for the great year. There we go. That is the show for today. We will be back again tomorrow to talk more stocks. Until then, see you later. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.